Welcome to this podcast series on inclusion and education from the University of Leeds. Our research brings together experts in education, childhood and youth studies with an aim to promote equality across family, education, policy, legal and community settings. To read more about our work, please visit the School of Education website. You can find this link and others discussed during the podcast in the programme description. Hello, my name is Luke McFarlane and welcome to the Leeds University podcast on education and inclusion. Today we have two very special guests. Uh, Would you like to introduce yourselves? Hi, my name is Amelia Gunn um, and I work for Leeds City Council. Uh, My role is around child poverty projects um, and I work with Dr Jill Main. Hi, I'm Jill Main. I'm an Associate Professor in the School of Education at the University of Leeds and my research is all about child poverty and social exclusion and in particular I'm really interested in how we can make sure that the voices and the knowledge and the perspectives of children and young people and families who have experience of living in poverty is kind of at the centre of how we theorise poverty and how we act on it. What projects have uh, the university and the council been working on together to do with child poverty? So we started looking at what we could do around child poverty in about 2016. Um, And we've worked on a couple of different projects together. Uh, The first thing that we started working on was a project that looked at how we could understand the day-to-day impacts of poverty from the perspective of children, young people and parents. Um, There's not a huge amount of research that takes a participatory action um, research approach with children who live in poverty. Um, So looking at really doing research with children rather than to children. Um, And we wanted to kind of shape the council's child poverty strategy around the, the perspectives and the knowledge and the experience of children, young people and parents who lived in poverty. Um, So we started doing a project called A Different Take, um, and that looked at at really the day-to-day impact, but also what children, young people and adults who have lived in poverty think that we could do about it as a council. Um, And we we kind of started from there, and then it rolled into loads of other different projects and evolved into this kind of way of working together um, in which we we kind of collaborate on a huge range of things um, and Uh, lead into different projects but also different boards um, and different partnerships. And um, I mean I guess from the university perspective um, I started out in 2016 I was doing a project called Fair Shares and Families where we were interested in how parents and children from across the whole social economic spectrum understand and take a role in acquiring resources and then sharing those resources within families. So often in poverty studies, we treat the household like it's a black box, kind of see this input in terms of income and then assume that that is shared fairly or equally between the different members of the household. But actually, I think there's a lot to be learned from looking at individual experiences within that And in particular, uh, because we already know from feminist studies of poverty that that income isn't equally shared between men and women and control over resources isn't equally shared. We know that about gender, but I was interested in looking at, so what can generation add to this? What, What can we learn when we consider children's perspectives and experiences as well? 
And one of the key findings from that project was firstly that children and families living in poverty don't have different aspirations. They don't have different kind of ways of being and behaving and things that they want compared to better off families. But it is much harder for them to get to that place um, that better off families get to simply because they don't have the resources, but also because there's a huge amount of stigma. The way that some politicians and the media talk about poverty kind of places the blame for being in poverty on individuals. And what we found through that project was that children, young people and parents living in poverty are really aware of that stigma and it really limits how they feel represented and a a part of these discourses. So this kind of chimed really well, I think, Amelia, with where you were at with the council in terms of we both wanted to create this platform where we could centralise these voices and this knowledge and say to people, well, hey, poverty isn't your fault if you're living in poverty. Poverty is a fault of society. We need to kind of correct these structures and systems and power imbalances. And so that kind of led to a different take, didn't it? That kind of, we were both in the same place with where we were thinking. And that kind of took us to this project where we tried to create that that space where we could put that kind of experiential knowledge, academic knowledge, policy and practice knowledge on an equal footing. Yes, definitely. We wanted to see what we could do differently, didn't we? Um, So we wanted to see out of the you know, looking at kind of the way the council works and the structure and the, the policies and the procedures and the practice, we didn't want it just to be kind of a, a strategy that that didn't have that um, that information on, on kind of the sharp end of the policy. So how people who, who are um, at the, you know, kind of receiving end of that policy, we wanted to understand how they how they experience it to be able to then say, how can we do it better for the future? What can we change? What can we do differently? How can we actually construct an approach to tackling child poverty that is based around a partnership approach of working with children, young people, parents, third sectors, schools, private sectors, academia, kind of a range of different um, people to look at the problem differently. So instead of saying, uh, this is what the council will do and this is how it's received by people, so kind of going from the bottom up and changing it around and saying how can we actually look at this and say right this is the problem what can we do about it together um, and so we and we couldn't really do that um, without understanding the the knowledge of the people um, who were experiencing it every day uh, and we so we created this panel of experts by experience because we recognize that in the council we're not the experts on these problems. We, we can support and guide and, and create policies and strategies, but we're, we're not the expert. Um, so we create this panel of experts by experience to, to kind of rebalance that power and look at, look at what we could do um, with a kind of a refreshed approach. We're taking the knowledge of children, and young people, but also you know, making sure that the projects were research-based and making sure that they were partnership-based um, and looking at tackling that knowledge, uh, looking at tackling that language and stigma that Jill referred to. Um, so some of the things that, some of the language that we use in the council, uh, you know, all well-meaning, but sometimes unconsciously it, it, it can be further stigmatizing and further dividing. So we wanted to know really what kind of language could we be using? What could we do better? Um, 
are things like hard to reach. So one of the one of the kind of the buzz phrases is hard to reach and communities are hard to reach and and some families are hard to reach. And that really is putting the blame on those families. That's putting the, the fault at the point of the families because they're the hard to reach ones. Uh, whereas easy, whereas actually we've started saying easy to ignore, um, which puts the which which kind of shifts it around. And so the focus is back on us. Are we ignoring those families because it might be a little bit more complex to get in touch with them? And it's it's those kind of things. So it's how do we look at this in a different way, and how do we tackle this in a different way, um, and actually make sure that it's fit for purpose um, and kind as well. You know, a kind system that actually meets the needs of people. But we couldn't do that without listening and hearing from children, young people and parents. Um, and so entering into that initial research partnership was really beneficial. Um, I think something really important that you brought to it, Amelia, was that focus on language, because you were always really aware of that. And um, I remember we both ended up with our kind of particular words, which just made us cringe, didn't we? And for me, it was resilience. And I think for you, was it? um aspirations was that the one that... aspirations yeah yeah aspirations it's something that and I think it depends on how you look at it but quite often the word aspirations is used uh, to say that children who live in poverty don't achieve because they don't aspire enough they don't want to become doctors they don't want to become lawyers they don't want to become um you know business people and so they don't become that because they don't want to their aspirations aren't high enough but actually, it's not about their aspirations. The, the children that we talk to, the children that we work with, they want to become all of these things. They, they have the highest ambitions, but there are so many barriers. There are so many hurdles that, that block their way that it becomes almost impossible, not, not completely impossible, but almost impossible for them to reach these places. Um, and so it's about shifting that round. So it's not it's not about the aspirations that, that those children have, but it's about the expectations that the adults around them have as, as the expectation that that kid is going to fail because they're, poor, for, because they're from a poor family or because they're black or because they're disabled. And if the expectation is that they might fail, then that's what they'll internalise and that's what they'll embed. So instead of putting that blame on the child, we need to look at the structures around it, the, the language around it, and about the, um, you know, kind of the dialogue around that. And, and we really wanted to understand those things. And, and yours was resilience, wasn't it, Jill? <laughs> for a similar reason. It was. Yes, for a similar reason. <laughs> if, you know, the, the message kind of, it's so easy to condense it to, if these kids were just more resilient, then they'd all be okay. But the kids aren't the problem. Poverty's the problem. A society which tolerates, what, over 4.2 million children now living in poverty in the UK. That's the problem. We've got everything we need to make sure none of them are living in poverty. It, it's the people with the power over how we distribute resources and who we give a voice. That, that's where we need to be addressing it. And I think that was another really interesting thing, wasn't it, Amelia, that we kept kind of coming into because obviously we wanted to make really practical differences and in terms of my academic studies of poverty I'm kind of thinking well we need to change national level policy but I think a really helpful challenge for me was you kept saying but we're a local authority this is the budget we've got these are the powers we've got what can we actually do 
And like you're saying about yeah. um, aspirations there, I think it was a really helpful challenge to me to kind of be made to think, well, okay, but we can't change national policy. We can't give these families the money and the resources they need. So maybe changing the language, it's not perfect, but it's a really good first step. And I think that was such a useful element of that kind of partnership working for me to really challenge my thinking. It's about the little changes. Um, and because, you know, ideally we would we would love to live in a world where those 4.2 million children in the in the UK didn't live in poverty um, and, you know, have have influence over that. But but realistically, everyone's only got their sphere of influence and everyone's only got the things that they can achieve within their sphere of influence. And so it's about focusing on, on what we can do differently, what we can change, what we can actually um, achieve within our sphere of influence. And and I think the and it's it's sometimes the organisational blockages and barriers um, and, and the issues of time, the issues of funding um, and and kind of the understandings between worlds and how we build on the understandings of, of the way the council works, the way schools work, the way the third sector works, the way the universities work, the way communities work. And I, I think these making these structures work better together and having a more developed understanding actually makes a big difference to the lives of children and, and families who live in poverty. But it, it's often about these little steps and these little wins on, on the road to, to bigger achievements. Um, but I think we do need to, to look at that sphere of influence and say, right, okay, what can, and if it's, even if it's just changing the language, just changing one word or two words, and then it goes on to another word, and then it goes on to another word. Um, you know, if we, if we just kind of build those little steps, then it does eventually accumulate to a big difference. One of the things I wanted to inquire about that I found um, very interesting, it's a quote from the Fair Share Project, was from a young person who said that, if you don't know about those opportunities, you can't use it. If there's no role models to show you opportunities, then you won't be able to access them. You go off the radar. So I just wanted to ask that, to what extent do you think in, in the communities that you've been working with, there could be a better like signposting of opportunities? So I think, I definitely think that the, that the, the, the knowledge around those opportunities um, um, can be improved. I think uh, I was I was working with a young person uh, a couple of weeks ago, and we were looking at apprenticeships. And uh, the, this girl, English is her second language. Um, and we'd gone away and we'd looked at the apprenticeship site. And I'd asked her to, to kind of create an account, have a look at some opportunities, and then we'll come back and chat about it. Um, and she lives in, in one of the, the most uh, kind of disadvantaged um, parts of, of, the, of the city she came back uh, a couple of weeks later and she said well they I applied for one but they rejected me and I said well, why did they reject you and she said I don't know they said I, I didn't have the things to the, the you know the, the required qualifications to, to meet it so I looked at her application and where it said qualifications she put no qualifications where it put skills she put no skills where it put experience she put no experience now this kid had GCSEs she had three years volunteering she had work experience in a school. And I said, well, why didn't you fill these in? She said, well, I don't have qualifications. I said, you do, you have GCSEs. And she said, well, I don't know what the word qualifications mean. I didn't know that GCSEs meant, I didn't know that my GCSEs were qualifications. And it's, it's these barriers. So 
if we hadn't been there to kind of say, well, okay, but you do have these, this, this is the qualifications, you know, you can apply for it, then she may never have got onto that apprenticeship. And then she may never have got to the next step. And, and I think that, that we need to do better to address those blockages and address those barriers. But firstly, we need to understand the barriers because unless we understand the barriers from, from the point of view of the individuals, from the point of view of the communities, then we can't unblock them. So I think we, we can definitely do better around, around developing those opportunities with, within particularly inner city areas. But I think first that what we need to do is look at, okay, so, so what, what's the dialogue? between communities and the council? What's the dialogue between communities and, and private sector organisations, uh, you know, apprenticeship schemes, schools? Um, and how do we actually look at that differently? So instead of kind of communities being more isolated and having these barriers and then the council doing work that, that is all good and well-meaning, but, but without kind of that dialogue, that's just gonna go down a path where, where it splits. So how can we kind of redirect that and get in a path uh, so it goes together? And, and that, I think where where research and where research and policy can fit in really well together um, and where we can if we start to look at things differently about how do we understand those messages and feed those messages back um, you know working with universities working with research partners and kind of getting that that knowledge and that experience um, into the, the way that we conduct work I think we can make a we can make a big difference what what can be done to achieve better outcomes when dealing with child poverty? Yeah, so what we wanted to do was kind of look at um, the the things that we could practically do in Leeds to make a difference. Um, you know, through working with the council, through working with different organisations, through working with children, young people and parents, we really wanted to understand what practical things can we do? What are the barriers and how can we work differently with people to achieve it? So through the A Different Take project with the university um, and the third sector organization in Leeds. Um, we worked with this panel of experts by experience and, and some of the outputs of that work uh, were these snakes and ladders boards. Um, so the, the children, the young people and the parents wanted to create uh, kind of a visual representation um, of poverty and, and some of the blockages and the barriers, but also some of the opportunities um, so, so what we what we what we did is we created one snake and ladders board that focused around the impact of poverty on education, one snakes and ladders board that focused around the impact of poverty on single parenting, and one um, snakes and ladders board that focused around the impact of poverty on access to university and uh, employment. And these were created. Um, Kind of with the, the children, young people, and parents created these boards, and they the snakes were the things that made it worse, and the ladders were things that made it better. And all across all of the different boards, they'd written quotes about their experiences, their friends, their family, their community experiences, um, and they were a really kind of stark um, representation of of the the poverty um, and either kind of accessing these opportunities to get out of poverty or or being thrust further into poverty can just be based on chance and luck it's just like the roll of the dice you know you might get an opportunity where you where you can get a more secure more well-paid work or you can lose your job um, they can change the bus route you can't get to work anymore and you can be thrust further into that 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 world of poverty 
Um, and with these boards, we played them with head teachers, we played them um, with senior officers in the council, we played them with politicians. Um, and it was the children, young people and the parents sat around the table um, with, with the policymakers, with the politicians, with the head teachers, with the third sector organisations um, and played the game. And it was, it was putting poverty in, on the table, um, you know, and, and actually saying, these are the issues, you know, these, these are things that, that, that poverty has an impact on. Um, and, there was, and the conversations that arose from playing this game were fantastic. And one of the head teachers, uh, they were talking about the difficulties in getting to school. And one of the head teachers said, well, I, I travel, travel is expensive, but, you know, but every child eligible for free school meals can get support. Um, and one of the children said, yeah, but I'm not eligible for free school meals. So I'm just above that line, but I'm still living in poverty and I can't get access to that support. Um, and then this sparked a conversation about travel and how we make it more accessible and more affordable than school transport. And, and it's all of these things. And it's, it's about kind of taking that look of it and saying, this is what these people understand. This is what these people understand. What can we do to change those understandings and find solutions? Um, and so that training and, and those conversations were a start. Um, and we embedded that and the, that work into the child poverty strategy. And we've embedded the principles that we developed from that um, into the strategy and all of the work we do as a result of, of the strategy. And it, it's about understanding those blockages and those barriers and then creating different things, different projects, different processes, different policies, different strategies uh, to actually unblockage those barriers and, and, and look at actually how can we do this um, together with an understanding of the solutions, with an understanding of the barriers. Um, and, you know, it, it, it's never going to be an easy process. There isn't, poverty isn't one experience. It, it's a multiplicity of experiences. And so there's not one solution. Um, there's not something you can say, you know, and this thing will completely end poverty forever. Um, but it's about how can, how can we improve the lives of people who live in poverty? And how can we improve those opportunities? And how can we improve um, those kind of steps and the system to, to make it better and make the system better, better, a better fit um, rather than trying to fit people around the system. And it's change on those different levels as well, isn't it? And this for me, um, it kind of came out of the Fair Shares and Families project and then fed into a different take. And we came up with this kind of almost theory of change that where we need to start with change is how people are thinking and talking about poverty. And I think we kind of saw shifts there, like within the group themselves as well, like being able to almost start the process of shedding that feeling of shame and stigma around poverty and starting to be able to view poverty as a societal problem which is done to them rather than a problem within them. And I think that then enabled these conversations where you can start to kind of change policy and practice because the young people had the tools and the confidence and the skills. And we, we actually provided them with training in engaging with kind of policy and media um, through a fantastic organization called On Road Media who came and supported with that. So we kind of helped them get the confidence and the skills to do that. And then their voices and their knowledge could feed directly into practice. And it's almost that kind of inverting it. So we're not seeing like national poverty feeding 
local, sorry, national policy, feeding local policy, feeding practice, feeding individual experiences. It's almost like inverting that and helping people to get the tools only because like Amelia was saying at the beginning they're the experts they're the people who know what living in poverty is like they're the people who know what needs to change and I think it was almost like trying to clear the path so we could then create that changes in how people think and feel and talk about poverty changes in practice changes in local policy and hopefully one day changes in national policy I mean I think we're away off that at the moment and I'm aware with the new budget coming out lots of criticism actually about the provision for children and young people but you know like like we were saying before we've got to start with where we're at and what we can do and I think you know Amelia and within the council you and the young people have made such good use of these resources to make these changes where we can yeah definitely and it it is about changes of rate isn't it as you say um you know the quite often people who, who do live in poverty, they're, they're made to feel like it's their fault. Um, and, and at the beginning, you know, they, the, the people who are on the panel are coming and saying, yeah, but, you know, there's this and there's this and there's this and there's that. And then this happened and that happened. And it was very much kind of this individual, um, like, this is my story. This is, this is my story of poverty. And as conversations evolved and everyone started sharing their story, they began to see that that actually there are all these things that intertwine between their different stories and that the poverty isn't their fault. Um, you know, it's not, it's not something that they did. It, it's an issue with the system. Poverty is a result of, of political economic choices, not individual faults. And as those conversations started to evolve, um, the, the people on the panel began to see, oh yeah, okay, then this is the same. You have this bit and you have this bit. And, and that, that ingrained feeling of shame um, that quite often often accompanies the experience of poverty and, and you know, especially children who live in poverty, that, that began to, to slowly, slowly kind of fade away. Not completely, but slowly start to fade away. And in one of the presentations that we gave, um, you know, a, a couple of people talked about their experiences of poverty. And at the end, someone, someone came up to me and said, you know, like, I'm, I'm a head teacher. I've done this. I've done that. Um, and, and what you were talking about really resonates with me. You know, I experienced poverty as a child and I still have that feeling of inadequacy, of shame, of stigma. I still have that that experience of not feeling good enough. And I think that's something that that we don't understand enough and we don't look at enough because because if we have this 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 millions of children who grow up not feeling good enough, that has such a massive impact on them on their families on their communities and actually that's not okay we you know we can't live in this in in this world where not only do people live in poverty and experience poverty but then they feel the stigma the shame the blame for experiencing that poverty um and so we need to we need to look at what are the the impacts of poverty but but you know how can we how can we actually take that debate away from it's an individual fault to, to looking at it as actually it's not an individual fault it's a structural fault and let's let's get people recognizing that it's a structural fault um and and change that debate and and then it and as Jill says then it has impact on multiple layers uh, multiple different systems at multiple different times so all of this work all of the the outputs and the videos and the, the reports that we create from this work um they're called a different take um and you can access them 
Um, we'll put the link in the in the uh, in the um, description of the video. Uh, but if you Google a different take bleeds, uh, then you'll be able to see the reports on there. Well, thank you very much, Jill, and thank you very much, Amelia. Thank you for listening. For more information about our work, please visit the School of Education website. If you have any questions about our research, or if you would like to study with us at the University of Leeds, you can contact the Research Centre Director, Professor Michaelis Contopodis, for further details. You will find all relevant links and contact details in the programme description.